The Sign Out Podcast has partnered with Outdoor by Four to bring you this conversation. Welcome to the Sign Out Podcast. Here we interview individuals who are pursuing their passion and who want to share that story. And it really boiled down to, uh, I couldn't get the products I wanted, so I made them. You know, we spend a fortune on research and development and developing products and testing products and making sure it works. If you want to deliver a really good, well-made product for years of service, it takes time and it takes money and it takes uh, having a good team of people around you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Sign Out Podcast. Excited to get back. Uh, this is your host, Daniel Thornton. I have a really unique conversation to start with today. I'm bringing in a co-host, Frank Ledwell, who is publisher of Outdoor by Four. If you've listened to the last uh, few episodes, you'll know that we partner with Outdoor by Four to put this podcast out there. I'm really focusing on outdoor adventure, looking for people that are pursuing their passion through adventure. Um, today, we're going to have a great roundtable discussion um, and talking to some American manufacturers who all three create some great products um, in the adventure market. So I'm just going to pass it over to Frank Ledwell to start here. Um, Frank, why don't you uh, introduce uh, this roundtable discussion? Well, Daniel, as always, it's a pleasure. Um, definitely a pleasure for me to join uh, as a co-host on this episode. You know, I haven't been on the podcast in maybe five years, I think. <laughs> you, you, were one of the, you were one of the first yeah. ones. Yep, you were one of the first ones. <laughs> That was a that was a really fun conversation we had years ago, and and to be partnered with you is a, a, a continual treat. So I appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to join in on this uh, what I think is going to be a really important conversation with um, three friends of Outdoor by Four, all of which I've had a you know a long lasting relationship with over the years, who um, in their own right have been substantive in the impact of growing the uh, overland vehicle based space. Um, so, with that being said, I, uh, I'd like to introduce uh, the three guests that we have um, on the call today. Um, the focus of this call was was really to provide an opportunity for uh, enthusiasts and consumers within the overland and vehicle-based space to uh, kind of get a, a general context or maybe a greater context of uh, the efforts that go into creating uh, the high-quality products that many of you enjoy. And the challenges that uh, oftentimes come across that most people aren't aware of, um, but continue to be um, uh, talking points within the industry and the back channels uh, as it relates to the brands that um, have been so critical in uh, the growth of this space. So um, the first of our three guests I'd like to start off with is uh, Jerry LaCoyer of uh, Tembo Tusk. Um, Jerry? Yeah. Hi, everybody. How you doing? Um, you know what? I started business uh, or Tembo Tusk back in 2010, and it really boiled down to uh, I couldn't get the products I wanted in the current in the marketplace, so I made them, and uh, and suddenly that turned into a company. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, we're in it since 2010, and uh, still going strong and trying to do what we can to keep going. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I think each of us on this call can relate to that. Um, I know I as a publisher of a magazine and uh, Shirley uh, Brian of Goose Gear, who I'm getting ready to introduce, as well as Gavin of uh, Gavin Center of 67 Designs. Um, you know, the, the, the 
the experiences that we've had in the past eventually led to um, the passion that, that has that has uh, been exhibited in the products that are uh, offered by each of these companies. And certainly for me, um, you know, as an enthusiast, you know, it was a, it was a passion that led to what I do. And I think it's uh, probably the same for each of y'all. So um, our next guest, Brian Fulton of Goose Gear, um, happy to introduce you. Tell us a little bit about Goose Gear. So, yeah, so uh, obviously, first of all, very happy to be on this podcast. Um, obviously, I've known you for quite quite a while since uh, day one, as well as Jerry and met Gavin many, many years ago and have great respect for all of you guys and Daniel getting to meet you for the first time, which is nice. And uh, But yeah, so Goose Gear is a, a vehicle storage solution provider. So we build uh, interior storage systems, interior sleeping systems, uh, primarily for the overland market camping and off-road market. Um, we work on everything from Subarus to Forerunners to Jeeps, and pretty much everything in between, uh, and have a pretty extensive product collection that we lots of research and development, as you mentioned earlier. It's great to have you on the call, Brian, and definitely appreciate your time here. Um, finally, I'd like to introduce Gavin Stenner of 67 Designs. Um, Gavin has uh, over the years become a, a good close uh, friend um, and so, as everybody on this call uh, with me and Outdoor by Four. And uh, you know, Gavin's story I know is a unique one and we'll, you know, I think we'll, we'll uh, enjoy getting the chance to hear more about Gavin uh, and then we'll just you know, lead, into the, uh, lead into our discussion. Gavin, tell us about 67 Designs. Yeah, thanks very much, Frank. Uh, good, to, good to meet everyone again this evening. Um, always good to meet up with you guys. So a uh, brief introduction to 67 Design. I started the business in uh, 2012. Um, we had a particular mantra, and you can read about that on our website, of what we were looking to do, um, as much as anything, uh, really a, a social enterprise as well. So uh, 2015, we launched our first um, vehicle-specific uh, mounts. Uh, that was for the Jeep range. So our JK mounts came out in 2015. And um, so between 2012, 2015, we spent a long time doing R&D on different products. Uh, we did a collaboration with uh, Tom Hanks on, on our desktop mounts. And um, the rest is, has really been a, a roller coaster. And it's been just a tremendous uh, opportunity to deliver high-end uh, device mounts made of carbon fiber, aluminum, and uh, nylon. And that's really what we specialize in. We do the design, all the R&D, um, the manufacturing here. We do our own fulfillment. We do our own customer service. So it's a full vertical stack. And we do that out of Dallas, Texas, in a direct-to-consumer model. And we love it. We've been very thankful for, uh, for where we are today, but not without our challenges of other people benefiting from the R&D and the good work of the people here in the United States. Yeah, you can say that again. Well, and that and and yeah, Gavin, thanks for the introduction and uh, and uh, the overview about sixty seven designs. And you brought up a point uh, as it relates to uh, R and D and challenges. Um, can can you tell us a little bit about you know some of the challenges that have that you've incurred over the years, and you know what the environment was like. Uh, and this really could apply for for everybody on the call. What the environment was like pre-pandemic, um, how the pandemic, uh, you know, impacted positively and negatively um, each of your brands, and uh, you know how 
how getting through the pandemic you've you've been able to navigate through uh, challenges. Uh, I know that's kind of a multifaceted question. Maybe just start off a little bit with what uh, Gavin had, had started uh, to kind of get into, which was the uh, some of the R and D challenges. You know, Gavin, can you ex- explain a little bit more on you know what you've experienced? Um, yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, oh, you you introduced the pandemic. I think that's a, a whole nother another topic to do with <laughs> the supply chain challenges that we've <laughs> we've had. But in terms of R and D, look at the end of the day, if you want to have if you want to deliver a really good, well-made product for years of service like Timbo Task, um, Goose Gear, ourselves, 67 Designs, and many others, um, it, it takes time and it takes money and it takes uh, having a good team of people around you. And there's no shortcuts. There really are no shortcuts unless you want to be, you know, which we all know in the market, unless you basically want to copy other people's products. So we're doing the R&D and... Um, so that's, that's a, a big element of what we have to get involved with. That's the lead time element. Um, our business grew like gangbusters. And I got to tell you, we were really welcomed by uh, the vehicle-based uh, adventure community. We got just tremendous welcome from Brian and, and everybody um, back along. And this was uh, 2016, 2017. And at one point in 2018, uh, we were growing at a compound annual growth rate of uh, like 280 percent. I mean, it was a rocket ship. And so, I think the biggest challenge uh, when you when you enjoy that sort of success, you obviously get uh, pirates that come along and and see that success. And well, for us, um, you know, we would we were absolutely targeted. Um, no no shadow about it. But there's another company. Uh, look at Spiderweb Shade. Spiderweb Shade, they make shade. They're out of Florida. Um, gotten to speak with the owner and a couple of the folks from that organization. And exactly the same thing happened to us as happened to them. Same group of people uh, out of the uh, the Rust Belt decided that they were going to uh, identify, target, copy, import, Amazon, away you go, and the rest is history. So we've definitely suffered from organizations that are skilled in the art of counterfeiting and no knockoffs. So, and we're completely embroiled in in litigation associated. One of the major brands within this space, uh, American Expedition Vehicles, had had a uh, an incident where there was a where there was a company that was uh, exhibiting product that was a verbatim uh, exact copy of uh, product that. AEV just happened to have on display at their booth. And uh, it was it was such a blatant um, infringement of a design that uh, the uh, the company that had that had that had essentially taken these the designs of, of AEV uh, was escorted out of the building by uh, by uh, federal agents uh, for uh, copyright infringement and international patent uh, law issues. And uh, there was quite a bit of news that came out after that um, as it relates to, um, you know, the, 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 the brand AEV uh, and the, uh, you know, the, the outright uh, infringement of their design. And so I, 
I, I asked that question of you because I, you, know, you helped elaborate a little bit more on those challenges that you've seen and experienced over the years. Um, and, you know, it's not, it, it unfortunately has not been uncommon uh, and, and not just within the out, the over, overland vehicle outdoor space, but across a variety of, of uh, industries. And, you know, it is, it is certainly a challenge. Um, Brian, have you, you know, in your years of experience with Goose Gear, um, have you encountered, uh, you know, this type of, uh, of a challenge uh, as it relates to, you know, your designs um, or uh, the products that you offer being, uh, you know, being offered through other channels in some sort of variant that, um, that has, you know, posed a challenge for you? Yeah, I mean, there's, <clears throat> we've had, you know, several companies try and replicate our product or offer our product or, or you know, kind of mirror our, the product that we offer. And, you know, most of our stuff has been, uh, surprisingly, a couple of times it's been domestic, um, but we definitely have had foreign, you know, duplicates offered. Um, there was a time, I believe it was about 2017, where we were looking, uh, and there was a uh, foreign company that had basically taken photos of product that we made, photos of campers that adventure trailers had made, um, photos of campers that uh, Vagabond Outdoors had made, and they were offering all of their product and our product using our exact photos from all of our websites. Um, it was just like literally, it was just they cloned our website, threw it up on the international market, and then just started offering it for sale. Um, I think that one actually was, well, it was just, a in a foreign, foreign interest. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, we've had a few others, um, you know, and speaking of other companies, I mean, I know like uh, adventure tool company has someone that not just in the past couple of years has re kind of cloned most their entire product line and looks exactly the same even. And it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit, uh, sad that he spent so much time developing such a great product and just have someone come in and knock it off. You know, it's um, it's a lot of work. You know, we spend a fortune on research and development and developing product and testing product and making sure it works and shipping it off to people. And, and you know, we ship it off to influencers. A lot of time it's for marketing, but it's also for research and development. The influencers typically get our newest, you know, prototype product. And um, it's because we want to test it. So we send it out there. And then if they come back with any issues, we have to go back, go back to drawing board, draw it again, test it again, build it again, replace it. And um, just like everybody, you know, I mean, I know, Jerry, you, you know, you're making your own pans here in the U.S. and you spent a, a ton of money on that. I mean, I remember talking to you about it and I know, Gavin, you, know, you spent a ton of money on machinery and 3D printers and you don't go buy some $500 3D printer and build prototypes and do all the stuff that you do. You spend, you know, we all spend a ton of money. So how do, I mean, how do you navigate through that? Uh, you know, obviously, you know, we have you know, predicts to IPOs and you know, copywriting of unique product and designs, but, you know, I guess an old adage of, you know, whether it's a will, there's a way, yeah. um, it doesn't seem to stop uh, individuals and entities from, you know, going ahead and, and pursuing, uh, you know, offering products that are blatant copies of, of those that are being, you know, created domestically. So, I mean, how, how do you, how do you navigate through that? I think, um, you know, right now we have, you know, patents that are patent pending. You know, one of them has been in the process for years uh, and the costs are astronomical. 
Jerry, I know you have patents. I know, Gavin, you have patents. You know, right now the industry is changing. You know, we've had a really good run of small companies, but a lot of them are just getting bought out. And I think it's going to make a lot of the the patent issues maybe even worse because now we're fighting big companies instead of just calling up, uh, you know, a a small owner going, hey, you know, what are you doing? And, uh, you know, they'll talk to you. But uh, now, you know, you just talk to attorneys. So I think it's, it's tough. Yeah, I think I think you're hitting on a right the, a big striking point. You know, we did we've had you know a few VC companies approach us in the past few years to you know they're interested in collaborating or buying or you know partnering or investing or whatever. And you know, one of the VC companies uh, basically just said, "Look, either either join us or we're just going to copy your stuff," kind of thing. Um, right. And they're and they're so big that I could never defend anything against them. Right? I don't have pockets like that. And I mean, and that. Again, I'll leave that leave that over to Gavin. Gavin can kind of tell us the, the joys he's been dealing with for the past past couple of years now. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, well, I think there's there's a number of topics here on the table. Um, so first of all, let's look at the intellectual property that you you can have. You can have trademarks, so word and graphic type marks, right, for the logos. You can have copyright, which um, well, that's a whole nother ball of whack. But you can also have another form of trademark called a trade dress. So the easiest way to think about that is the Coca-Cola bottle, right? So the actual shape of the Coca-Cola bottle or the Kisses uh, shape on Hershey's chocolate. So you've got three-dimensional trademarks. So there's trade dress on that. Um, that's before you start looking at the patent side. And then in the patent side, you've got two general areas. You've got um, design uh, design patents, which for which we have a number, and then you've got utility uh, patents. So you've you've got to look at each one of these, and they have their own nuances. They have their own, um, yeah, they have their own language, and they have their own ramifications. Not just in terms of prosecuting uh, with a with an attorney, prosecuting being obtaining the the uh, the particular piece of intellectual property that you're going for. Um, so you've got that side of it. The longest, uh, the longest patent that it took, uh, the, the longest period of time it took for one of my patents to get out there was over 10 years. And our most recent uh, utility patent um, uh, is two and a half years. Okay, and and the time frame is really really important. So, um, so I think you know maybe that's something for the listeners to be to be thinking about in terms of how quickly. You can enjoy success um, with a with a product, and before you've even got an office action or any action or response from the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, you know through your attorney, you you've got people knocking you off. If you have a really good product that takes off because you've got this beautiful community of, uh, that that's around it, and you're producing good quality, there are people looking out there constantly. And I'd say we've run into to some folks uh, in a really bad way. Um, and you've got to really seriously sit down and say, what do I do? Do I bother even attempting to get patents and trademarks? And if I do, what's going to be the cost? And I can tell you in, in, in our particular situation, we're well north of 300000 just in legal fees alone. We haven't even, that was just for preliminary injunction and various other things. Um, 
we haven't even got to the trial. The trial's not even for another year. So the meat and the body of it. So this is probably a $700,000 journey just to address trademark infringement by people that went ahead and, and conspired to uh, take out the best in category. And by the way, you know, that third party views of that, that's not me saying it, although I, we're very proud of our product. So I think, I think there really has to be an examination and, and an education of the consumer. And that's where I like things like this podcast is because I genuinely think if people in our community knew what small business America was up against, and it doesn't have to be a foreign com uh, company, just even domestically, the number of pirates that are sitting, waiting to enter a market and say, that market's hot. I'm going to go and see, are they on Amazon? Oh, no, they're not on Amazon. I'll tell you what, let's buy it. Let's immediately ship it to China. I got some friends, ship it in, and it immediately appears on Amazon. And that's exactly what happened to us in 2019. The guys bought the products in 2018. We even challenged them, or actually one of my staff did, even challenged them, and, and they lied straight out of the gates. And they turned around and said, no, it's for a gift, like multiple of the same thing. And nine months later, on it appears in Amazon and all sorts of people emailing us that they're all confused. Did you do a brand? Did you do a licensing deal? No, just people have ripped it off. And and if the consumer knew what was behind that or how difficult it is to make products, um, I think we'll start to see a shift. I, I hope that we would see a shift and we would start to look at really where goods are made. Yeah, and I think that's a bummer too for you because I mean I've used your product and I know people have used your knockoff product and it's two different worlds and so that also hurts you in the fact that they buy the knockoff product because they search for you and they find it on Amazon and they buy it and it yep. it's it's in it's unbelievably inferior to the product you make and you know obviously just like all of us right we spend all, we all care about what we do and we all care greatly about the quality the longevity the serviceability and. And we spend a lot of time getting our product to where it's at, all three of us. And so it's difficult when someone just knocks it off and it's a piece of junk, and in my opinion, of course. And uh, and then that affects your sales as well because they think, oh, it's just the same thing. It's going to perform the same. And the reality is I have friends that have bought the other stuff not knowing that you're the inventor of the stuff and not knowing that you have patents. And then they see what I have and they use it. And they're, they, they're like blown away. Like this is a whole different level of quality. And I think that there's a point there that y'all are kind of hinting at, which is, uh, and it leads to maybe pivoting this conversation a bit, but still related to, you know, this particular issue as it relates to, you know, protecting your designs. Um, you know, as technology has continued to proliferate and allow for consumers to be able to easily consume, um, at you know the click or tap of a button on their phone, um, I'm curious, you know, you know how each of y'all feels about um, you know online marketplaces such as Amazon, and I'm, and I'm just using Amazon as an example. I'm certainly not trying to implicate or suggest that Amazon is uh, responsible for you know all of these problems that you know are are starting to arise as it relates to you know infringement of design. But but my point is that. You know, because of the fact that we have channels that are out there that, say, 10 years ago, just, you know, wasn't even in the picture, has made it easier for consumers to 
to purchase product um, really, you know, with so much ease and convenience that there's there's very little that goes into that decision making process other than cost, for instance. So, you know, a consumer might be looking at XYZ product and comparing it to say your product and thinking, well, heck, I can get this product over here. It looks just like what I, you know, can get over here, but it costs a third of the a third of the amount of of to my, you know for me. So I'm going to go with this cheaper version. Um, what 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 continues to be, or what would you perceive as a problem as it relates to technology playing a role in this this grander problem that y'all are experiencing as it relates to protecting your brands? That's that's complicated a little bit. I mean. I just filed a patent pending last Friday on, on the, my newest product, uh, and I swore that I would never do another patent ever again. I remember that conversation at least more than once, Jerry, after you said how much money it costs. <laughs> People don't understand how much money that costs. They go, oh, you know what? You charge too much. It's like, gosh, uh, you know, I don't know how you get around that. Uh, it, it costs what it costs, but they don't appreciate it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, I spent uh, a good three months. Uh, what what I've uh, just patent or patent pending is uh, a, a universal tilt slide mount for for flat slides for refrigerator slides. But it took us three months to develop it, and uh, when it got to the time where it's getting ready to put it out to market, it kind of dawned on me that we really worked hard on this, and uh, I, I, I better protect it. I mean, I didn't patent any of my slides because, to be honest with you, I just don't think you can. Um, although I see my design in a lot of different people's slides now. Uh, if you look at them carefully, they all look like Temple Dust slides, although they don't—they're not mine. Uh, but so I decided I'm going to—I'm going to bite the bullet one more time and uh, and patent this uh, this tilt slide adapter. But it does kill me. I just—you know—it's just money I don't want to spend. And again, that's why it costs what it costs. You got to pay for that. So, what's I guess what's the incentive to patent? You know, a design that you're putting so much effort in. If for one, it takes it could take years for it to be processed by the patent office. Once you start the patent process, you've got a little bit of protection. But I think it goes back to uh, keeping the honest people honest more than anything else. I mean, you know, you can send another small company a, a lawyer letter and uh, they'll react to it. You know, you send it to a corporation, it probably doesn't do anything. You know, nobody actually sees it. But I think it just keeps the honest uh, people honest more than anything else. It's like a lock on a door. That's an interesting perspective, um, Jerry. Uh, but the the fact of the matter is, if depending on the type of patent, you, you actually do not get the protection until the patent is issued so you know if you think about and the great thing about this is it's a brilliant american story it's the founding father's story right we were all inventors or the founding fathers were inventors um and understood and established one of the the global um system really the, the the patent system and and i think that people don't necessarily understand that literally without a patent or a trademark or a copyright you have nothing to stop somebody taking your product and making an exact copy. The only protection that you can have is granted by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and then subsequent offices, um, 
domains around the world uh, if you've if, through the treaties, but you don't get any protection until such time as that patent is actually issued. You can kind of put some warning signs up. So there is a period of 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 time where you might as well. There are some people who say you, you you shouldn't even release it until you've got the patent. Well, that's no good if you're trying to run a business, right? There's all sorts of challenges, but basically the courts in this country, or at least in my examination, is you know related to our uh, ongoings. The, the courts have basically said, look, if it doesn't have those three things, you're, you're, you're fair game. You're fair game, and anybody can wander in, and they can make exact copies. So that's why you go for patents. That's why you go for trademarks, is to give you some runway and some protected element of the market to recover the cost of the R&D. That's why people do patents. So what what can consumers do, or what would you what would you like for consumers to consider um, when they're making their purchase decisions, so that they can be aware of the effort that that has gone into creating your product and being able to distinguish that from something that's that looks very similar to it? I, th- I think I think there's a couple of um, just easy things to to look at. If if, if you're looking at something on Amazon. I think there's a very high likelihood it's it's probably not made in the United States because anybody that's actually making anything in the United States that's paying all the U.S. costs, maybe in our case, we provide our employees uh, access to Blue Cross Blue Shield. We, you know, it's a good, clean, safe environment. The, the prices that are being reflected on an Amazon, if you think that they take, you know, maybe up to 40 percent out of the deal. Just look at the prices. You know, you you know, and I'm not just pinning the tail on the donkey of Amazon, but it's a it's a good example. So start to look for some independence. Do start to look because chances are a good, well-made product doesn't have the margins. Everybody may think it does, but it doesn't have the margins. The only way you get those margins is using uh, factories in you know in, in overseas markets because the labor rate here in the United States is really high. So that's the first clue is what's the platform I'm on? And then the second clue is to just do a little bit of research. Oh, and by the way, if it has an American looking flag on it, or they're pretending to be veterans, I'd probably still steer a million miles away because they're, uh, you know, they're essentially uh, trying to tug at the heartstrings pretending to be something they're not. Yeah, and that's that's a struggle we've talked about. We've had you know a lot of meetings lately in our with my team, and and you know like you, we've we're offering benefits to our employees now, and and those things cost a lot of money, like you said, and it just you have to, you know, like you said, the margins are low. But as far as the marketing side, like we were talking about, you know, how do we get that point across to the consumer that hey, this is you know, you know, we're using foreign materials. I mean, obviously our plywood is not made here. It's a mm-hmm. you know. It's Baltic birch, and it's just it's a it's a tree that doesn't even grow in this country the way it does, you know, over in in Europe, and so it's that's the kind of plywood we use. But you know, there's other things that we can't that are literally just aren't even made in the United States anymore. That we don't have a choice but to buy a product that's either made in Mexico or Taiwan or China. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, we're always sort of trying to source domestic products, but we still have all of our processing is here: our cutting, sanding, prepping, spraying, coating packaging shipping and that's all done in-house and it costs a fortune and trying to figure out how to market that as our brand is kind of one of the things we're struggling with is like okay how do we get that word out without 
overdoing it, so to speak. Like every, you know, a lot of the knockoff companies, like you said, Gavin, everyone's throwing an American flag on their Chinese made product, right? Because it's sold here. It's made by an American, you know, it's an American company, but it's made overseas. And we don't want to blend in like everybody else, but we also want to let everybody know that, hey, yeah, we actually do make this here. And these are American jobs. And there are 15 people downstairs that are cranking out some of the best product in the market, you know, just like you guys. Yep. Well, and I think, you know, for me as a, you know, as a publisher of a, you know, a, a media, a, a media company, it's certainly, you know, in the, in the, in our responsibility, you know, just using outdoor by four as an example, but, you know, really, you know, anybody and everybody else in this space to help educate. And that was a big part of, you know, why I wanted to bring everybody in on this call was to uh, draw some attention to um, the various subjects that we're talking about here. And, um, you know, for me, it's, it's critically important to educate and to, uh, relate the challenges that peers in this space are experiencing um, so that we can help kind of guide, you know, consumers into making purchase decisions that, you know, can work within their own cost constraints because, you know, the consumers, you know, they, they like us and like you have, you know, a, a, a finite amount that they can spend. Um, so being able to guide them along the process and understanding what goes into the products that they're buying and, and also recognizing too, I mean, there's that adage that, you know, you know, you buy once, you cry once. And with American-made high-quality goods, I've found time and time again, yeah, you'll spend a little bit more, but you'll wind up with something that's going to last you substantively longer that makes it much more worthwhile in the long run. Um, Brian, one of the things that you mentioned a little while ago, you were talking about uh, material sourcing, um, you know, with you know, items that you can't even get here in the U.S., you know, Baltic birch. Um, and other and other materials. Um, how has you know how has how has supply issues pre-pandemic and during the pandemic affected Goose Gear? Um, and for that matter, each of y'all uh, mm-hmm. in bringing your product to market and being able to meet customer demand, and of course, you know the impact that it's had on your own cost structure. Oh yeah, it's been. Uh, a roller coaster ride to say the least um, for all of us. I mean, we've all talked about it at different points in time and it's, it's, you know, pre pandemic for us, it was just managing the growth, right. Being able to buy enough material to keep the shop filled and and produce and meet, you know, the demands of the consumer. Um, And then as the pandemic rolled in, it just became just a sheer availability of product and, Many times there was just nothing even available or, you know, our plywood distributors, it got to the point where they were rationing plywood. Like I would call them and say, I need, you know, how many sheets of material you have in stock? We have 800 sheets. Okay. I need to buy 400. They're like, we can't sell you 400. We can sell you 33. Hmm. But yet I need 50 just to keep all this production for the next two or three days. And so that had a, a significant impact. So we, you know, and, and, you know, and we're not unique in that. Everybody, in the, in, I mean, it's a global problem, right? And we all know that now. It's for everyone's well aware. Um, but yeah, we had a lot of problems. You know, we tried creating our own extrusion back in 2020 and getting our own profile. And we called the extruders. And by the end of 2020, they were so busy that they basically just said, you know, because of lack of labor, which is a whole nother topic that we could talk about some other day. Uh, but lack of labor and then the shutdowns and the delays in, in production just throughout the entire 
you know, supply chain from digging a hole in the ground to create an aluminum, they wouldn't even take our order. And this was a supplier we had already worked with in the past. And they're like, look, we just, we can't, if you're not pushing thousands and thousands of pounds, like these monster companies, we can't even take your order because we're just booked out. And this year, well, I should say last year, uh, end of last year was the first time that we were able to actually push our own profile and create our own product and improve on its design, reduce its weight, reduce material usage, you know, do all these things to help the environment also, because we're using 26% less aluminum, which is, you know, a better product, a lighter product. And it's better for the environment. You're using a quarter less. And so you had to evolve, essentially evolve your products to meet the supply constraints y'all have had. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, you know, there were, we stopped producing new designs um, because of lack of material resources. Um, but it's, yeah, we've all had challenges. It's, it's been a lot of, a lot of work. Well, and I mean, and I can identify with that as well. I mean, as a, as a primarily print title, um, you know, we 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 navigated very similar challenges as it relates to paper because you know, print magazine, you have to have trees, you have to have you know the paper that comes from trees in order to produce and be able to bring to market your product. And um, you know, we had delays in being able to get by four to market as timely as we had been wanting to, and we're just now finally. You know, in 2023, getting to a point where the magazine is now, you know, arriving in people's mailboxes on a more timely basis, but the costs associated with paper, you know, have have skyrocketed versus pre-pandemic, which has certainly had an impact on us in terms of our being able to, you know, meet uh, the demands of our of our customers and still trying to juggle and navigate, um, you know, the cost uh, that we incur. And trying to limit as much of that that we pass on to our readers uh, with the final product, and I imagine for each of y'all that's a consideration as well. Is you know you're dealing with you know continued supply issues that are starting to taper off a little bit, but the cost of materials continues to be high, and trying to figure out that kind of sweet spot as to you know not having to raise prices so much on your end product that it strays consumers to cheaper knockoffs in an effort yeah. to, to save money. There's kind of like a catch 22 there that really makes the, the dynamics of this challenging. Um, Jerry, I mean, do you have any you know input or feedback on that? Yeah, I do. Uh, I mean, we've all been through this. You know, before the pandemic arrived, everything was fairly easy, fairly smooth on getting what you needed. You didn't have to buy an overabundance of it. Once the pandemic hit, suddenly I couldn't get steel to make uh, scottles. Or, and when I could get steel, I'd buy three times as much as I needed because I didn't know if I'd have steel six months from now. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with my stoves. Now, I can't buy stoves, uh, American-made stoves. They don't exist. Uh, I, I have to buy Korean, South Korean stoves, which at least they're from South Korea, not China. Uh, but I've had to buy two years worth of supply, which is sitting up uh, you know, in, in, in the pallets in my... Uh, uh, in my shop, uh, I got two years worth of stoves because you, you know the ships were stuck out in LA Harbor for you know three months at a time. Uh, so I, I, you know, if I don't have stoves, I don't have scottles to sell. If I don't have steel, again, I don't have scottles. Uh, and the price was just going. Uh, you know, steel was insanely expensive. Then it would dip down. Then it goes back up. 
I mean, just this year alone, January, the steel came down to a to a, an expensive, reasonable amount. And uh, last month, I ordered steel again. Boom, went up. I think thirty dollars a sheet. Mm. Uh, but you know, you got to keep your your prices level, and uh, you can't go and increase your uh, the price of your product by thirty dollars every time your prices go up. So yeah, it's been a challenge. And uh, and I know, uh, you know, it's, I guess earlier we were talking about uh, what happened to us during the pandemic. And yeah, business was absolutely booming if you could keep up. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think we, you know, a lot of us in this industry were, were lucky. I mean, thank God we didn't run restaurants. But, uh, you know, people uh, are camping and using their vehicles and uh uh, that was very helpful, but you know we're now kind of in a hangover. Uh, you know, business is not like it was during the pandemic. You know, it was very much an anomaly, and uh, now we're wondering where the business went. So it's 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 certainly an interesting year, to say the least. Yeah, I'm curious because um, I've been sitting here listening, and I'm I'm the type of person that I am going to research a product. So I'm that consumer that does want to find a really good product, high quality. Um, I do have Gavin's. The only phone mount I've ever bought for a Jeep is Gavin's 67 Designs. It's a great mount. But I listened, and there's it's very difficult manufacturing, figuring out inventory, um, you know, dealing with supply chain issues. I'm just curious on a personal level how y'all keep the drive and the motivation to keep moving forward and to keep those products. And I don't say that negatively. I just mean that, like, it takes a lot. And, I, and this goes to the whole podcast of, being passionate about what you're doing. And I think you have to have that passion. So I would just love to hear some of y'all's words about what keeps that passion going to deal with all these issues and these great questions that Frank brought up that that I think is going to be great for the consumer to learn about, to want to support you more. But what keeps y'all going, Brian? What keeps you going? Well, number one is that every now and then, Brian says, when are we going camping? And that helps. (laughs) And I would be doing what I'm doing now than what I did for a career. Uh, this is fun. Um, and uh, so that helps. And it's very creative. I mean, you, you know, Gavin and Brian uh, and Frank will, will tell you, you know, what we do is relatively creative and, and it's fun to, uh, you know, to put your mind to solve an issue, uh, solve a problem and, uh and then see it come out, uh, you know, at the other end, and uh, and people using it. So I, I think that's probably what keeps you going. It's it's not a boring industry. Uh, we're, I think we're enjoying it, I, although there's some you know downside mm. to it. it Brian, yeah, I can see you kind of like smirking <laughs> in the background. So you always yeah. like, have some thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know, I it's it's definitely a struggle, right? So I. I could make more money doing something else. No question about it. You know, I could go to work for another outdoor industry company and make tons more money, but it's really about loving what we do. Um, and, you know, the biggest thing for me was the the quality of people in the industry, right? Mm-hmm. I've, I've worked in many industries before and, you know, from the trades to product development for hockey equipment to other things in my life. And this the people in this industry, not just the customers, but also the other owners and the people that work in this industry are really some of the best people I've ever been around. And that's, it goes to quality of life, right? You want to enjoy what you do and you want to have a good time doing it. And you want to have the passion of making a great product. 
which, you know, I mean, that's kind of a normal thing for most people. I think is you just want to have a good product and make a good product. And, and the people in this industry recognize that, you know, for the most part. And, but going back to what you were leading to, Frank, is that this industry is growing so fast that there's so many new people coming in that have no clue who we are or the fact that we helped create a lot of this, you know, and put a lot of effort into creating products that kind of set the standard for, you know, what we do. And that's difficult as well. But it's, um, yeah, I mean, this industry, it's, it's the people are really what make it worthwhile and plus being outdoors, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Gavin, your thoughts? Sorry, I was going to jump in. I I apologize. Um, I I echo what Brian's saying. I think it it speaks to um, other people within the industry recognizing and seeing that you're delivering products. You're seeing a problem. You're hearing about a problem. Oftentimes it could be, you know, I think you would see this, uh, guys, with sitting around a campfire or, or, you know, even out at uh, the the different events and you hear about problems. I think everybody on this call, be it in publishing or be it in physical goods production, at the end of the day, I think we're we're creative people um, that like to come up with solutions. And, you know, that's a heck of a lot better. And we could probably make a heck of a lot more money, though. If we just had a wall of screens and we traded the market every day, right? I think we, I think we could all go and make more money. Even, uh, even with my losing record, I can make more money. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for me, I mean, and the ethos behind, uh, you know, sixty-seven designs. To your point, Daniel, um, I mean, you guys have been great supporters at, at, at Outdoor Bike Four of, of helping tell the story. But, you know, it, it is a fulfilling thing. To, to do to metaphorically sign the front of people's checks every two weeks. Now we do it electronically now and into bank deposits, but to to actually grow a company from zip, not take any money from any anybody else, and to have a team of people that you're taking people that are unskilled, largely unskilled, certainly on the production floor, they come in, they're young, they know nothing. And the idea behind certainly our company was how do we take young people that have got no experience and how do you match that with a bunch of people that are retiring that have got skills? That was the general, you know, that was the that was the fire underneath the business. And and we still have that. That's that's really where the passion is, at least for myself and this organization. It's really hard and it's very daunting when you're up against complete pirates. But if you can help somebody develop a set of skills, they're not going to stay with you forever. But if you can teach them a few skills and then that can help set them up for a much longer period of time. So I think for me, it's how do you contribute back into the community? Um, And I think one of the greatest ways that you can do this, one of the most honorable things that you can do I believe is to actually employ someone and that is painful. It's hard. It's really hard to get good people, but when you have a small, a small team and you're writing checks every two weeks and you know that you're putting food on family table as opposed to somewhere else, I think that's a great thing. And that's not to be exclusionary to, we have, we also have vendors and we do actually have a couple of suppliers um, out through China We've had Taiwan. We have some product coming in from Europe. 
just low level components. So we are we are pushing um, the the global economy. So it's not really against any particular country. It's just saying we need to do this here because we all saw the impact of uh, the summer of 2020 with the riot, and that's with virtually full employment. And if we don't employ people, and those of us old enough, and those of us with capital, if we don't invest it here at home, there's no amount of of uh, fencing that you can put around your house to to face down the riots. And those people will get angry. Those people without jobs will get angry. So we have to deploy the capital here. And you can probably hear it in my voice. I am very passionate about training the next generation of people, sometimes rudimentary skills, sometimes high-level skills, but train them. That's what we have to do. That's certainly what I think. Part of my passion isn't swinging my legs out of bed every day. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And that's, it's, you know, I've been a business owner. My parents were business owners and, you know, it, it's just a family thing, right? We've I've always been around business ownership. And so it just came kind of naturally to me, but handing out, you know, for us, we still hand out a paper paycheck because we're old school, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's nice. So I literally walk around the shop and, you know, hand everybody their paycheck individually you know, when I'm, you know, as often as I can. And it's just, it's a nice feeling to be able to do that. And like you, to your point, Gavin, is the training is, you know, I have two, two younger guys are very good, very hard workers. And, you know, finding people is tough, but we have a great team that work, work their tail off. And I've got two younger guys who, you know, they want to make more money. I said, well, we, you know, how about you learn AutoCAD, you learn CAD, learn to draw. You know, one of the kids, we're going to start training him on the CNC machine, cross training him on that so he can run a machine. Because if you can run a CNC machine here, you can run a CNC machine anywhere. And that's high demand. Mm -hmm. So even, you know, you we move out of state, he moves out of state, he's got a job, a guaranteed career, because you can make a really good money running machines. So getting these guys up and educated and trained, yeah, they may leave someday. And that's kind of a bummer. But, you know, that's the cycle of life, right? People are going to do what they do. But getting that extra skill set and taking them from no skill set to a you know, a career type skill set is, it's a great feeling. Yeah, that's got to be hugely gratifying. Um, Daniel, you got any additional thoughts, any questions? Um, you know, I just, yeah, just final comment. I mean, I think what something I heard there that I think is, I would agree with is the whole community aspect. Um, and then this story that uh, Brian and Gavin just talked about, the idea of just training up that new generation. Um, I think that's a great story that we should continue to get out to everyone that, yeah, I'm going to go buy a phone holder for my Jeep. That's the best. But really what I'm doing is I'm providing a small, tiny piece of capital to go back to 67 designs, to employ somebody, to manufacture somebody, whether that's with Timbo, whether that's with Goose Gear. I'm really getting that message out that it's not just the dollars for my personal satisfaction. Yes, I'm getting a good product, but I'm supporting a larger community that when that business is successful, they support a larger community, which is, you know, in this case, vehicle-based camping, the outdoor community. And I think that's so important um, that it, this is all bigger than numbers and dollars, that it really is a way to lift people up. Um, and even your suppliers that are in another country, lifting those people up and just how important it is that together that, and I love how you guys all know each other, all have relationships um, but yet you're all in the same industry. And I think that that might not be unique in other industries, but it seems sure is unique on how tight this community is. And I think that's 
just says a lot of good things about what these companies are, what the ethos of are these companies, what their values are, what they support. And, you know, that's why I want to be able to get this information out to folks because so they can know this is why I support these three companies. This is why you should buy from them. This is what they're doing in their local community as well and how important that is. So um, I think you guys are all doing a great thing and I love hearing these stories and I love hearing Frank, um, you know, just bring about some of these technical questions and listen to you guys talk about patents and why it's difficult. Um, it's important for us to understand as consumers, you know, why we need to support you guys and why it's important that your products are protected. So just uh, thanks for really spending time with us today. I really appreciate it. Any final words from you guys in general? Well, I think it's, it's good to get the word out. I mean, we have to be careful not to sound like we have sour grapes about stuff. Uh, you know, if we start complaining too hard, then people start, you know, you know, ignoring us. But I think people need to understand that uh, we're not there just for the dollar. We're, uh, you know, we're, we're part of the community. We've been very lucky with the Overland community as it, it is small. And we most of us started at the beginning of it. And whereas we know almost all of our customers, we know all the other vendors, they know us. If you step outside the Overland community, it becomes the real world. Uh, you know, we're trying to break into, you know, fishing and hunting or, uh, or even the, 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 uh, the van community. And uh, you know what? No one's ever heard of us in those communities. So it's, a, it's an upward fight. So it feels comfortable. Uh, the overland, uh, you know, business feels very comfortable. And I think we've been lucky to be in that. And there's a lot less uh, backstabbing and, uh, and aggro other than, you know, people coming in from the outside where, you know, Gavin's have had those issues. Actually, we've all had those issues, just not to the extent that Gavin has. Yeah. Frank, you got any more Good questions day. or any last words? Well, I think this is one of those subjects and one of those conversations where we could probably talk about, you know, we could go in down rabbit holes of a number of the things that we've talked about. <laughs> Um, but I, I really, you know, I, I probably want to conclude here and 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 kind of reiterate um, how um, you know having these types of conversations really gives context, I think, to consumers. And that was my that was that was our real intent for Daniel and I was to have the opportunity to sit with y'all and talk through, you know, what it goes into being, you know, a, you know, an American company navigating um you know a variety of hurdles that include all the things that we talked about tonight and my hope is that you know as 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 people are listening to this conversation they maybe have a better context as to you know what went into the the scottle that they're eating from at base camp or the drawer system that they're pulling out their uh, sleeping bag and all their sleeping and camping equipment from from their goose gear drawer, or you know what went into the development and the jobs that were created by the the, the phone mount that sixty seven designs has on you know a person's windshield or on their dash panel. Um, these are all stories that um, are truly unique in their own right and. Uh, this community of that's based in you know of, of love and passion for the things that each of us does is kind of the fundamental baseline um, that I, I think really makes 
each of your products uh, tremendously unique in this, you know, as Jerry mentioned, community of uh, enthusiasts. And, you know, your stories are similar to the stories of other American brands within the space and outside of Overlanding that I hope consumers um, will, you know, give some consideration to when they're making those purchase decisions. So, I really appreciate each of y'all being on this call and um, and us having this conversation. And I hope that we get an opportunity to you know follow up down the road and and highlight some of the other talking points that came up during this conversation. That'd be great. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks very yeah, much. Thank both. you, Daniel. Thanks, Frank. Well, thanks, that. guys. I I could probably get three more podcasts now. Just uh, do some <laughs> origin stories for each one of y'all. But uh, I really appreciate it today. Um, Thanks for your time and thanks for uh, joining the Sign Out Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Sign Out Podcast. Make sure you check out the three companies featured in today's roundtable. The first one is Tembo Tusk. You can find them at tembotusk.com. That's T-E-M-B-O-T-U-S-K.com. The second one is Goose Gear. They are at goose-gear.com. And then we also have 67designs at 67d.com. Special thanks to four-wheel pop-up campers, purveyors of vehicle-based adventure, for their generous support of the Sign Out podcast. Learn more about four-wheel pop-up campers and their variety of base camp adventure products by visiting 4wh.com. That's F-O-U-R-W-H. Make sure you check out our website at signoutco.com. We have a bunch of original design t-shirts and hats and stickers. They're very cool. Check them out. And if you have about 30 seconds, if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be much appreciated. It really helps us out. The music in this episode was made by me, Caleb J. Murphy. And if you want to hear more of my music, check out calebjmurphy.com. Again, thank you for listening to the Sign Out Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. The Sign Out Podcast is proudly brought to you by Outdoor by Four Magazine, a preeminent publication for responsible vehicle-based adventure travel, including overlanding. Outdoor by Four shares family-friendly content that resonates with a broad audience of adventurers, whether in a 4x4 vehicle, on two wheels, in a canoe or kayak, or on foot. Outdoor by Four's focus is on visual storytelling that appeals to all types of outdoor enthusiasts while providing expert advice as well as dynamic photography and stories that inspire. You can pick up a copy of Outdoor by Four magazine by visiting your local bookstore or by going to outdoorx4.com. That's outdoorx, the number four, dot com.